Hi, this is Chris Wade, Slate's podcast and video producer, here with a spoiler special podcast on Arrested Development Season 4, the hotly anticipated return of one of the most beloved TV shows of all time. I'm here with Browbeat editor David Hagland. Hi, David. Hi, Chris. And Slate's culture critic, June Thomas. We each plowed through all nearly eight hours of the new season over this beautiful Memorial Day weekend and are eager to get into it. So I think we'll start by just going around and uh, giving our initial reactions. So, uh, David, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I liked it. Um, it definitely starts off a little slow. And I think the second half, the second, you know, starting with episode eight or nine or so, I think it starts to pick up some real steam. Uh, and part of that has to do with who the characters are that we're seeing at that point, as we'll get into. But just overall, by the end, I was satisfied and glad that they had made it. Uh, I also, I feel more or less in a, similar to that. I am not a big fan of the show. I rewatched them all just before season four came out, so they're fresh in my mind. But I was not part of the cult of Arrested Development. And so maybe because of that, maybe because my expectations weren't that high, I had a pretty good time watching them. I found it fascinating and I don't know if I would necessarily say that it was great I think that I will have to go back and watch it again to really decide if I think that it's good TV or not but I think that what it does and the way it plays with structure and form and how it tells story is something I've never seen on TV before and I'm always a fan of that of innovative things the way the whole thing is formatted is like a puzzle where you see the same thing over and over again, and each time you see it, you get one more piece of the of what that puzzle was. And the entire thing is told, you know, the story of the five years it's been off air, um, really through the series of like I don't know five five key events that all the family members ended up at for different reasons. And each time you see the event, you see another kind of part that was played during that event. So, right. So, what would you say are the key events then? Okay. So the key events are the family meeting. Immediately after Lucille gets out of jail, uh, which I think is the the best thing that goes on through it. And it's kind of like it starts off as just a conversation. The first time you see it, it's just two people having a conversation. The next time you see it, you realize there's a third person there. And until the very end, when you realize the entire family was actually in this room the first time you saw it, but you just didn't know it yet. I thought that was pretty genius. And some people aren't in the family, right? Because Anne is there. Yeah, Anne is there hiding in a corner. Um, Tobias behind that plant. Um, So it's that event. Uh, that conference where uh, maybe is receiving her Lifetime Achievement Award, her mm-hmm. Opie Award. Her Opie. Mm-hmm. Um, Marky, Marky Bark. Marky Bark. Yes. Uh, is trying to glitter bomb Herbert Love's campaign. Right, which is happening at, in the same building as yeah. the Opie Awards right And there's now, a third – and, and a tech conference for George Michael's – Oh, that's right. Uh, right. George Michael's um, fake block. Right. Yep. So that's all basically one event. It's that one yeah. night. And then Cinco de Cuatro – uh, which is, as we learn right at the very beginning, this holiday that uh, Lucille created in order to deplete the supplies that Mexican-Americans use on Cinco de Mayo the next day because she wants them to come to work. Um, so that that night is similarly just crowded with, you know, uh, George Michael is supposed to give a keynote about mm-hmm. his software. Uh, Herbert Love is supposed to give a campaign speech, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and it's just – a fascinating way to tell a story of kind of laying out these events and kind of thinking that you'll like in the first episode that you'll just like see it once and then every single episode returning and learning more and more about what goes on which is also why it's I think the series gets more entertaining later in the in the season because 
the first time you see things, you're like, oh, okay, that was kind of weird and I didn't really understand what was going on. But as you learn more about it, everything makes sense and I think a really rewarding way. However, because I have to say that I – although I, I had a similar sort of journey to you in terms of appreciation, enjoyment, by around 13, 14, 15 – I felt like I'd seen it too many times already. Um, for me, the whole series was a bit bloated. As much as I enjoyed them making you know, lemonade from the lemons of poor actor availability and turning it into a puzzle, I thought that was very smart. I got a little bit tired of seeing the scenes again and again. There's this great fr- series of French movies, which I wish I could remember the name of the director. I know them as Trilogy, where it's, it's a very similar thing. You see the same events take place from three different uh, points of view Um, three movies seems good ten episodes maybe good Fifteen felt like it was pushing it for me. Oh, that's funny. See, I didn't see that as a problem. I, I do think that the freedom that the Netflix format allows you know, at times that seemed to lend itself to the to the bloat. I mean, I think specifically mm-hmm. of the first episode where the whole thing about voting him out of the room goes oh on and God. on. Yeah. And I th- you know, I think if they had had to make that a 22-minute episode, it probably would have been better. Mm-hmm. But I but I also am not sure. Yes, the cumulative aspect of the storytelling I do think makes the you know, helps make the second half of the season more enjoyable, but a lot of it I think is the actors. So for instance, yeah. Will Arnett as Job shows up fairly little in the first several episodes. And then when we finally get to see him and Ben Stiller as Tony Wonder, you know, have this bromance that then becomes essentially gay love. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was fantastic and I thought one of the best episodes. Similarly, Buster, um, you know, Tony Hale as Buster is great. His episode is terrific. Yes. It's very late in the run and he doesn't show up that much early on. Yeah, I Just to, as a side note, Job also has my favorite, I think my favorite line of the uh, of the comeback is when he's pulling up in his limo that he's been driving around to uh, Father B's ranch and pulls down the window and says, "No, Father, I'm I'm just a gentleman honey farmer. All I've got in the back of here are my bees." <laughs> yeah, no, and that whole so that's a, a whole plot line we haven't even mentioned, which is that he's going down to Mexico, where the Bluths have bought this land because they're going to build a wall and sell it to the government. I think, and this is going to make them all this money. Except that it turns out that the land is actually in Mexico. So that won't work. And to be honest, I I can't even explain the various other complications that were involved. I had a really hard time following yeah. that storyline. Yeah. On Friday, I had read something that said that on, on the binge-watching issue in which like a Netflix executive had tried to watch them all in a row and said, I can't. I got too tired. And at the time, I was like eye-rolling like, yeah, right. I, like I'm going to get too tired for TV. But it really is an exhausting watch. It's just everything is both dense and and a little bloated. And it's everything so long. The average episode length is somewhere around 32 minutes. Um, It's a lot of information to take in. And stuff like the land deal is actually like kind of complicated plotting that takes like a little mental energy to trace. And for me, that's the main challenge of of this whole experiment uh, is that I think you probably need to watch it more than once to appreciate it. I really enjoyed it, but I'm not sure I enjoyed it enough to watch it again. Yeah. Um, or, or again and again, which is maybe what you really need to do. And, and, you know, to me, it is a flaw. I mean, it's nice that the original Arrested Development, the first three series, that they do reward multiple viewings. I think maybe the, ju- the, the test of the quality of season four is that I don't know if it really will. I mean, I agree with you, Chris, that there is this, this kind of nested quality of just kind of seeing more and more references I just don't know that there are enough 
to make myself to put myself through that again. But then maybe that's because I'm not a true fan. Yeah, the question as to whether there's an inherent value in its complexity is totally valid. My biggest problem with it is I don't know if the story that it's telling in this rich, complex way is as compelling as the previous series because it kind of is lacking the sense of like heart. Yeah. At its core, it's kind of just an, an extended like summary of their lives rather than actually watching them grow and do and learn and change. Right, which, which uh, Hurwitz acknowledged, right, because he kept saying that this was sort of a setup to whatever he wants to do next. And I, I do wonder whether there will still be the appetite for anything more after this. But I think you're also right about this matter of heart because, again, the, the Job episode, part of what I think made it so good is that – it's actually surprisingly sweet. That relationship between him and Tony Wonder is very funny, but also is this a kind of story that uh, we maybe haven't seen before, at least not on a sitcom, where you have these two straight guys pretending to be gay who then really do fall for each other. And, you know, it's done really well. Ben Stiller and Will Arnett are great comedians. But then on the other hand, if you take the Michael and George Michael relationship, which kind of bookends the whole series and has always been very much at the heart of the show – you know, it ends with George Michael punching his dad in the face. It was a very odd conclusion, and I, to be honest, at least on the first go round, a pretty unsatisfying one. I mean, that, I was very interested in the way that Michael's role worked out in this because, I mean, I think in the sort of setup for the TV club that Slate's running that you did with Emma Rolla, David, you talked about how. In some ways, he's the least likable character, but in the original three series, he was maybe the most essential because he was kind of the straight man and he was the one that everything kind of bounced off. And if it was just all of that craziness with no... And I don't know what, if it it was because he was identifiable, if he was just allowing the other stuff to happen. But because he's not necessary in the current setup, I just found him so annoying. I uh, I actually really liked what they did with Michael and George Michael in this. Um, and I will agree that it's very hard to watch. It's very hard to watch Michael become just so pathetic and uh, spiraling out of control, which is where we come in. It's He's in a very dark place and, like, can't really see his darkness. But I enjoyed that because I, I forget who I read saying this, but I read somewhere about the original season or series that, you know, the series is about a family where every member is insane – and Michael's specific insanity is that he thinks he's normal. Uh, and I really enjoyed taking that specific insanity and, like, pushing it to the edge of it. Like, him living in his son's college dorm and just thinking that this is, oh, this is totally normal father-son time. Yeah. Or, like, when he gets in the shower with him, it's, like, <laughs> like actually insane on the same level of, like, a Tobias who is – yeah, I would say Tobias is one yeah. of the more insane characters. Well, and, and in fact, um, I mean, one of the striking things in those early scenes is that he he seems stupider than he used to. He seems – More oblivious. Little, more oblivious, yeah, a little nuttier. And I like that they did that with him. I mean, there are so many ways that this could have been so much less ambitious than it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really do think Hurwitz, like, tried to do something big and mm-hmm. grand. Another thing that he did that I was specifically looking for was he, you know – was reflecting to some extent on what has happened in the world since the since the last you know yeah that the ended. housing crisis became like a plot point in it in the same way but not to I'd say the greater satirical extent that Iraq the Iraq War was a big part of the original series yeah and the we pol- had drones 
Right. The drone thing. I mean, you know, even something like, uh, you know, and this isn't specifically from the last five or six years. This has been kind of a media obsession for a while now. But the whole sex offender storyline which with the to entrap a local predator. predator. Is that what it yeah. was called? Um, they did rely on John Beard an awful lot, yes. uh, which I think, you know, he's probably more available than, say, yeah. Will Arnett. Right. There was also a. Uh, Another, I think, semi-topical j- reference joke I liked was that one-off joke of the insipid morning show that was just yes. about like how insane and like, hey, look at how goofy our interactions are. Yeah, with the with the busty uh, women that yeah. were sort of who's a uh, Natasha Legaro from a uh, who's a comedian that does like a voice on Ugly Americans. Oh, oh Natasha Legaro. Yeah, yeah. I, I, somehow I didn't notice. And it was I her. think the other person was Busy Phillips. Maybe yes, Busy Phillips. I did notice. Yeah, yeah. which is another weird part of the series that. There are a lot of production things on it that just got distracting. Like the uh, every person who walks on screen, you're like, is that is that a celebrity? Am yeah. I not recognizing that yeah. person? Right. And I was very worried from the beginning when we see Kristen Wiig and Seth Rogen mm-hmm. because I it, actually really love that. I lo- I like Kristen Wiig a lot, but I thought Seth Rogen was kind of an unfortunate choice for George Senior, the Same. young George Senior, because he's so recognizable. Mm-hmm. He's not. I think he's a very funny guy, and he's a, a a good comedy writer as well as a good comedy actor. But he's not terribly versatile yeah and he doesn't seem like jeffrey tambor in any obvious way so you're sitting there thinking oh there's there's seth rogan oh however you know it's a again a testament to this show that even things that aren't good objectively like some of the green screen work i will give it's almost like i'm willing to say oh they're doing that on purpose they're like making a point about bad green screen or they're making a point by miscasting this character who's like he doesn't look anything like him and you think well are they yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, I the generous? most distracting thing for me was, okay, so because of cast limitations, they did a lot of things where they'd have to use, you know, buy, basically shoot two sides of one conversation yeah. differently. But they made a directing choice to, like, of just framing of, like, reverse shots where, you know, the person who's not talking is very obscured by the camera. And it yeah. got to a point where almost every conversation I found myself wondering, like, is everybody who's in this conversation actually here right now? Or are they tricking me? Or what's no. going, what's going yeah, on? I found myself, like, looking at... Over-the-shoulder shots I was convinced were of, you know, stand-ins. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes. And, that, and that was a bit distracting. Some of that, yeah. Some of them certainly are. Right. But and it's it... hard to tell which are. And, like, every shot, over-the-shoulder shot is framed, so it could be a stand-in, which I guess makes sense if that's, like, how you're going to have to do it. But then it just, like, got... Too distracting. And again, though, that fits with the show because it's a, always been a big theme of like the confusion between George Sr. and his twin brother, Oscar, who is identical except for his hair until he cuts his hair as he did in the show. I guess that would have been way too complicated. Um, but, you know, it, so it kind of fits. So we're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. But as, since you brought that up, we should say that this was a big – the reason that so much of this happened, that the whole puzzle thing was that the actors just aren't available to, to shoot in this traditional way anymore. They've got other shows. And so they're – you know, they're – they're doing this thing where they're shooting when they're available, but they also brought in all these extra actors in a way as filler. I, I have to say, even the ones that I liked, like I love Marilyn Razjub. <laughs> as the person yeah. who communicates yeah. only with her, her thoughts. I'm going to give you now some of her best lines. <laughs> well done, June. Yeah, no, I, I loved. So I'm a huge Maria Bamford. Yeah, fan. and she was a great, and she was character. great, and she had such a big part, and I, which I wasn't expecting, and I really liked as, her as that debris. Whole, yeah, yeah, as debris, which is fantastic. Debris Bardot. Name. See, you know, I don't. I know the name. I don't know her work at all, and I just was so puzzled by that character. And so I wonder if you do need that identification or just that sort of recognition. 
Which because took, it just kind of was like it took me a while woman? to figure to realize that that was that it was her because I'm I know her more from her voice work than yeah. uh, her. So what stuff. what 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 voice work does she do? Uh, tons and tons. Yeah, she does this incredible. I, I and I I'm a fan of her stand up, so I don't mm. know. Uh, you know, she's on like Nickelodeon yeah, and, and what have yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but it's true that there are these little um, again sort of comedy comedy nerd shout outs. You know, I hadn't noticed Natasha Leggero, but in um, Swapigans, right? Which <laughs> CW is Swapigans. CW, which is I, that was a, yes. one of the funnier. And I, I think gags. just to, at a moment we have to we have to give the series credit for just uh, continuing to do one of the great. Arrested Development things of having like great hilarious one-off concepts like CW Swapigans, right, the restaurant is, where you barter with objects for food. Right. So you you look at the menu and then you offer something and then there's like a and the thing is so there's like an auctioneer of sorts right. that was Eddie Pepitone, who is another kind of beloved stand-up, and you know he's he's good at it. Came in and did one line. Yeah. yeah. But or you Dan know. Harmon as the right. yurt clerk. You the know? yurt clerk. <laughs> Who's on screen for like five seconds. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, but so the, those little things and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're pleasurable for fans. They obviously yeah. don't mean a lot to people who don't recognize them. Right. mean nothing. And you kind of have to give the production credit for playing up to the strengths they have of being like, okay, we're going to have a lot of cast limitations. We are going to have a lot of budgetary limitations. It's going to make us do these certain things. But what we can do is like literally anybody we call up and say, hey, do you want to be in Arrested Development for five seconds? Almost anyone is going to be like, yes, when? Yeah. I'll do right. it. Yeah. And they took advantage of that. But so this, the uh, swap against thing brings up this, a story, another storyline we, we have barely touched on, which is Lindsay's, mm-hmm. right? Because she's there with this guy, Marky Bark, who's an activist. and Who I haven't seen, but uh, that actor is apparently uh, central in the latest season of the, the Office. He's the sound guy that Pam oh, I hadn't that realized Pam, that. Uh, but yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it, but somebody pointed it out to me. So right. a reference that flew over all of our heads. Right. Yeah, well, so... I thought that storyline was was funny. I, I was I was trying to remember whether Arrested Development had ever done anything with face blindness before, <laughs> because yeah. you know if they hadn't, why not? It's right. sort of the perfect joke for them. You can kind of go back to it again and again. And that's such a classical like high farce uh, thing to happen mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. literally saying like I can't recognize anybody ever. Yeah. But then again, it's sort of like I mean you don't expect Lindsay to change, um, but you know I, I'm just not sure. Where it all went ultimately, um, you know. I- interestingly, I thought uh, Tobias, uh, who we also haven't talked about much yet, um, is straight. I guess he's always said he was, but he does. <laughs> he also watch. He's also very familiar with the Straight Bait series, which you think. Right. I mean, but, that is one of the all-time great. That just never fails to. I mean, use. Tobias. Tobias just follows his heart you know yeah. it's where wherever it may lead at that moment he he wears it on his sleeve well it was funny that so i mean that's how the how debris comes yeah. in right is that he falls for her yeah. at that at the method one clinic <laughs> method one acting <laughs> clinic um and she actually so another um kind of you know geeky uh, joke that they play is that she is in the um version of the fantastic four that um Ima- was it imagine? Imagine yeah, that, generic. That, that they, but that that some version really, of that happened. really happened. That they made like a, a super low budget Fantastic Four movie in the early nineties, just so Fox could maintain the rights to Fantastic Four for like another uh, two decades or something. Right, and you know, again, it's kind of it's a funny idea, but there are certain a number of people in the world who are going to know that oh, that really happened, mm-hmm, and they're going to mm-hmm. probably find it even funnier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that plot is uh, Lindsay and Tobias end up going off and kind of having their own relationship adventures, and, and which I thought was disappointing because you didn't get to actually see Tobias and Lindsay together that much. But it also led to a lot of fruitful stuff in there. And she right. did end up with another blue man. Yeah, it's yeah. true. 
Um, and But it is, you know, again, it's one of these endless callbacks. Not only were there callbacks to many, many times over and over to the original three seasons in that Lindsay had once been up a tree with Marky Bark's father – uh, who had since since deceased, since fallen off the off the uh, branch, um, and then causing more sort of internal callbacks, if you will, to other things happening in season four. I mean, I was, of course, that's their strength, but that in a way was almost the most impressive thing to me that they started new things right. that you know now feel absolutely integral to the to the series. Yeah, before we started, June and I were joking about same, same. which is same. something that uh, Tony Wonder and and Job start saying to each other when they realize they have a lot of common and it's, you know, repeated many times and it's quite funny. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right, so as we get to the end of the series and like all these threads start actually coming together and making as much sense as it's <laughs> going to make by the end of it, um, I think one of the things that is ultimately unsatisfying about this is that there's not a lot of character resolutions and then also you're still left with like some questions about what actually happened in this story that single story that is this whole season i wonder if that was supposed to be again another meta reference i mean just like a tv series trying to make you come back next season they end with a cliffhanger Right, yeah. I mean, it, it, but it's <laughs> but, but it's I really totally want unsatisfying. Yeah, I really it always is. Happens. Well, so the big one being that Lucille too maybe is killed or something, um, possibly by Buster. I mean, one of the funny gags from his, I think, very funny episode is that the army gives him this giant hand to replace hand. to replace that hook, and then suddenly he has he's sort of like a you know well he's a monster for one thing, but he's also sort of like a quasi superhero you know preventing bullying at school. He gets involved with Herbert Love's wife. A lot happens. But then at the end, he maybe kills Lucille, too, with his hand. There's red stuff all over the old stair car. Yeah. and uh, But maybe that's juice. And then it just ends. And I was left wondering, OK, if I watch this enough times, would I start to have a theory? Is this like who killed Mr. Burns and Maggie did it? <laughs> like, what, what does this mean? Who killed JR? I suspect that it's just an attempt to make you watch again. For whatever reason. I mean, there's no, there's no incentive financial incentive that i can think of but i just can i mean you're 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 both huge fans will you really be watching again to find out not with any specific purpose but i almost definitely will in the next month or so probably slowly go back and and rewatch every episode just to make sure i got it i already mentioned that i found the season as a whole compelling for its complicated structure and its narrative ambition but where it lost me was kind of that nothing actually was like a complete character arc. Most of the characters, you really only saw like a little bit of them. Like there's no real resolution or arc to like Lindsay's plot or Tobias's plot. Um, You know, the last thing we see is Tobias's Fantastic Four musical becoming a, being a total disaster as of course it was going to be. Although we did get those, all those great moments of him (laughs) talking to like Lucille being like, you are the invisible woman. And she's like, I thinking like it's therapy. I am the invisible woman. (laughs) Well, it's funny. That's another, you know, as every time we, we bring something up, I realize that there's some other layer to it. So of course the Fantastic Four musical, there are all these jokes about people not being available <laughs> and you know an actor having to step step down and somebody else replacing them and oh you put on the costume etc we haven't even mentioned the whole ongoing story of Michael 
getting the rights to make a movie about his family for Ron Howard, right. which also is sort of a more obvious kind of meta commentary throughout on trying to get everyone available, getting them to sign, mm-hmm. etc. Um, at Lucille's trial, there are all these empty chairs with you know their, their, their headshots, their headshots on on each of them. So there's a ton of that. Uh, to Hurwitz's credit, I didn't think it overwhelmed. Uh, that could have been the whole thing, yeah. and he didn't indulge it to that degree. Yeah, and theoretically, there's still a movie coming, uh, which might give the kind of res- actually provide the kind of resolution that I found so frustratingly really lacking. Uh, for all the narrative gymnastics that I found so pleasing. Um, so, yeah, it feels like a successful remount of something, hopefully leading to something more, but also kind of lacking a emotional center that I think found made the original series super, super pleasing. I think for me, once again, I mean, it seems like this is the case for all, I was going to say all, although I think it's only been three so far, of the Netflix original series, that they're so specific and so sui generis that I'm not sure that this arrested development experiment teaches us anything about anything other than right. arrested development because you couldn't I just don't think you could do this with any other show even another you know there are other hits of a similar cultishness similar maybe not quite to that level but it, you know there this has always been this entire series of meta references and callbacks has always been at the center of the show and you know, also just the immense loyalty that has brought everybody back, and you know, and then other huge stars. I mean, this is since we're on a spoiler special. The thing that made me squeal loudest of all was when Tommy Toon showed up. Tommy <laughs> yeah. Toon, who plays in the most marvelous name of of all time, Argyle Ostero, Lucille Ostero's brother, and I mean. It's Tommy motherfucking Tune. I mean, that's See, there's just a, astonishing. Yeah. See, there's a perfect example because I, I saw that you mentioned on Twitter that that episode had a particularly great cameo. Yeah, yeah. And so I had my eyes. I said, oh, it's probably that guy who I don't recognize <laughs> Yeah, at all. I have no idea who that guy is. I, I assumed that he was somebody who would make some people squeal. <laughs> right, 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 right. Meanwhile, you know, Eddie Pepitone is in the background. <laughs> I'm psyched. So, it, you know. It exactly. Speaks and I will say to his credit, you know, I, Immediately after finishing episode 15 at like 2.30 a.m. last night, uh, you know, I just felt like so overwhelmed about it. But as we're doing this, I'm thinking back about what actually, you know, the experience of watching was like. Everything I think of leads me down another path towards some delightful joke that I really, that, you know, really got to me and that's like what I love from Arrested Development is that the more you think about it the more hilarious it becomes. Yeah, I mean I think that it's a successful experiment and all. I think it was, uh, you know, in total really enjoyable. The funny thing for me is that, see, I I don't really care if they do anything beyond this. In fact, it dawned on me just before it finally arrived that I didn't really care that they were doing it again in the, in the sense that, you know, I just recently saw Before Midnight and it mattered hugely to me where those characters were, what was going on between them. I was emotionally invested in that. I wanted the Bluths to make me laugh again. Mm-hmm. I didn't care what was going on in their lives. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and, and there's the whole thing with Maybe and, and George Michael. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not even sure how much happened between them, I guess relatively little in the yeah. several years in between, right? right. She she keeps going back to high school. So much She's trying to get her parents' attention. I know about. there's so much. It <laughs> is really whole, we didn't even mention Isla F- Fisher as a uh, rebel Rebel, Alley. rebel Alley. Yeah. Well, now what does that name mean? That must mean something, right? Well, I it was where she was conceived. Right. right? Which I know, is a reference rebel... to Ron Howard's children because his other children are right. Yeah. 
And then I guess I don't know. And then there's the joke that, that, that George Michael and Michael are, are both in relationship with George her under his assumed name of George Maharis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all of which was very – I mean, that's all I really look to for the show yeah. is that it makes me laugh, that it's clever to a degree that um, almost nothing else is. And the characters, especially um, – you know, less so Michael and George Michael and more Job, Buster, Tobias. They're so fully realized and so nuts mm-hmm. that there's just a great pleasure to see them again. Mm-hmm. But once they're off of my screen, I, do, I don't wonder what's become of them. You know? <laughs> I kind of find myself wondering what's become of them. And I do sometimes wonder about Lucille. What is she doing now? And then I realize, oh, yeah, she's drinking vodka. <laughs> In her uh, country club jail. Um, all right. Well. This will be just another drop in the endless ocean of Arrested Development commentary, but I hope whoever <laughs> finds it and listens to it has gotten some kind of uh, enjoyment out of out of this. Yeah, um, and Slate is doing a, an Arrested Development TV club, so people should tune in there because we'll be able to go into a little more detail about each episode. Uh, but until then, you can go back and start re- start your first rewatch of the series to pick up the 60% of the plotting and jokes that you mi- we all missed on the first time. Uh, but yeah, uh, June, David, thanks for coming in on do- and doing this. Thanks, Thank Chris. Um, for Slate.com, I'm Chris Wood. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.